When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This week's episode of Sounds Good is brought to you by the folks who make my podcast happen. Gradient. They recently launched their full editorial website filled with tons of articles advancing identity and culture. Right now on Gradient, you can read news updates, personal essays from great writers, and commentary on movies, TV, music, and more. Go check it out at gradient.is. That's gradient.is. Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of Sounds Good with Brandon Harvey. I'm Brandon Harvey. This weekend, Cole Cresselia stopped by the studio in Nashville, and I'm so excited to have him on the show today. Cole is the CEO and co-founder of Crochet Kids International, an incredible nonprofit using something as simple as crocheting to empower people all around the world to rise above poverty. Everything they make, whether it's a beanie, a bag, or a t-shirt, comes hand-signed by the person that made it, so you always know where and who your product came from. Cole and I had a great time talking about the importance of travel, the secret to starting things, and how to change the world. I know that you're going to love it, so let's jump straight into the conversation. I am in the studio with Cole. Cole, welcome to Nashville. Welcome to uh, this beautiful little colorful box. And the I'm Whisper. In. The Whisper Room. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I mean, loving Nashville so far. It's been fun to get to see the space and, and get to meet you officially for the first time. I know, it feels good. I, yeah, you're wearing feels your, right. You're wearing your iconic red beanie right now, which yep. is just exactly how I imagined mm-hmm. that this would take place. Absolutely. And I'm I actually, I, maybe it's too soon, but I have a present for you. No way. Yeah, I do. Cole reaches into a bag <laughs> and, and hands me an identical red beanie. <laughs> That that red beanie. There Bra- it is. Brandon takes the beanie out of the bag, <laughs> removes his headphones, <laughs> and gently places the beanie over his curl. Solid. Now we can do this. Now we're now we're on the same wavelength. This this feels right. This is good. Yeah. There it is, man. man. Not to mess up your hair or anything, no, but thank you. I mean, yeah. it's the end of the day. There you go. On a Friday, gotta <laughs> let my hair down. <laughs> well. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for the gift and thanks for being here. This is super fun. Absolutely. Um, so I texted you uh, to be like, hey, dude, like here's where the studio is. And you have the same area code as me, 509. I, honestly, that blew my mind. I knew you were from the Northwest, but I didn't know. Like I have a lot of pride in holding on to 509 at the beginning of my phone number. Yeah. And it purposefully not changed that. And so to see that come through, I was like, this is going to be good. It's super good. You grew up in Spokane, Washington. Yeah. I grew up in Pullman, Washington, which is like tiny little town an hour and a half east of 
uh, Spokane, and we're just like right on the border of like Idaho and Washington. That's what I always tell people is that it, it, in describing it, it's saying, hey, I grew up in Washington and Idaho. A lot of people think exactly. of Washington, they only think of Seattle, they think of rain, and it's it couldn't be more different. Beautiful four seasons, yeah. I call it God's country. It's beautiful. There. It's I, insane. I'm so glad that I grew up where I grew up. It's yeah. super fun. And like we would go to, so we would go to Spokane for like a treat. Like we'd be like, oh, we've got to like go shopping for prom. So we'll, we'll, we'll go to Spokane or like, oh, we're going to go to Sonic. Like, cause we didn't have a Sonic, which mm-hmm. is so embarrassing. And we're like, <laughs> we're going to go to Spokane Yeah. or Krispy Kreme. We would go hard on Krispy Kreme. Oh, that was Kreme a big there. deal when Krispy Kreme opened. But Spokane, yeah, it's half a million people maybe. It's it's not a huge town, but in that region, it's the biggest in all of Washington, Idaho, Montana, everything that's happening in the inland Northwest. So yeah. there's some great energy, great. I loved growing up there too. Yeah. Absolutely. You, wait, what high school did you go to? Went to Mount Spokane High School, home of the Wildcats. Nice, yeah. nice. I know I know Mount Spokane. Formidable opponents. I ran cross country Whoa. and track. So okay, that's super fun. So, in high school, you mm-hmm. you started essentially what is now Crochet Kids, like an right. amazing nonprofit. But like, how did you go from being a high schooler to like running an international nonprofit? Yeah, well, that was the funny thing, right? Is people ask a lot about why is it Crochet Kids? Uh, where where did this all come from? And the impetus originally had nothing to do with being a nonprofit or helping people living in poverty. Uh, it was to create a company, a brand. I learned how to crochet. My older brother came home from his first semester of college in San Diego and taught me how to crochet. We were big skiers and snowboarders, and so I used to so making I, hats was just a natural extension I love that. of that. Yeah, I, I used to make fun of my roommate in college for yeah. crocheting. Like, was there any of that, or were you just like all in on it? You're like, I can make my own hat, and I have to buy it. In high school, we were all in. We just went for it, and we start. We would sell hats to whomever. We'd make custom hats for them. And uh, it started this business. We were featured in the newspaper. There's all these little things that that we, to all for all intents and purposes, we thought we made crocheted really cool. And it was it was kind of anti, you know, the norm of of high school and what you should be doing, which is what we liked. And yeah. designing headwear was really fun too. So we just we just kind of owned it at that point. That's amazing. And yeah. so you you were selling these hats to like other kids at your school. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Selling them to whomever, teachers, parents, friends. And at that point we had no goal other than making some money and growing this little brand, understanding design and, and entrepreneurship to a certain level. Uh, we saved all our money and spent it on our senior prom. I, li- I say we literally thought we had kind of hit the pinnacle. We rented a hot air balloon for our prom no dates. way we rented out a roller skating rink for our friends no we just that was the one thing we spent money on outside of just buying more supplies more yarn more hooks or any of that and and that was it like that we saw that as like the capstone on yeah. the crochet thing You're like this is the goal and that's why yeah. like you crocheted towards that goal yeah and then it and it we were putting it behind us from there so i was in in college we weren't necessarily crocheting that much we picked up different hobbies and and new opportunities but did you guys all go so you graduated high school mm-hmm. after like the best prom ever so how many friends were was it with yeah i was gonna say so there's two other guys okay there's travis and stewart and myself cool. they went to school down in southern california i went to seattle uh and we as i said we kind of traded in the crochet hooks and in 
looked for new and exciting opportunities. We started traveling a lot in uh, summer breaks, uh, just volunteering our time internationally. It was something that growing up, and this is something you'd have appreciation for, uh, growing up in the inland northwest, it's 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 not the best window into what the world is really like. Totally, it, yeah. And diver- there's not a lot of diversity. There's, um, I don't know, it, it can kind of feel small. And so we, right after high school, had an opportunity to take a trip to the Dominican Republic with a local church. All together. All together, yeah. And it just started to open up our eyes. It was like, wow, um, the world's really big. Uh, poverty is a real thing. People who who are living in poverty are actually amazing and incredible, beautiful people. Um, and those are the things that started started to say, man, we want more of that. We want to understand this a little yeah. bit more. So we kept chasing after That's that. Cool. Isn't it funny how travel does that? Like it changes that for you? 100%. And I mean, I feel like especially for me growing up in, you know, the same area, mm-hmm. I felt the need to go and experience different places. Like I immediately after high school moved to Portland mm-hmm. and I loved the challenge of being in a totally different city. With It was the exact opposite of the town I grew up in. And then I went uh, that first summer, I think, between high school and college, or maybe the next year, I went on a trip to India. And mm-hmm. I also had my mind blown where I was like, wow, like the world is so different than I expected in like such a beautiful way. Exactly. And that was it, that was it for us too, was like you read and learn about statistics of things like poverty, um, about the, the just terrible things that are happening in the world. And you start to form your opinions and understandings around them. Uh, and you don't realize how th- that it's a person on the other side, that, that there's just another person trying to live out their story, trying to pursue their dreams and passions. And, and getting to travel and getting to meet people starts to break down those barriers. And once you have it once, you, it starts to chip away at that yeah. idea. And then it all falls. And then it's like the barriers are down and you understand that people everywhere are amazing. Totally. Yeah. Deconstructing that is so it's such a good feeling to be like. I, don't, I mean, and it, and it hurts at first. It's like, okay, this, I'm wrong. Like, I yeah. have a wrong r- view of the world. Yeah. And then you start to go, but, like, the world is so much more beautiful than the mm-hmm. than the small way that I saw it. And I think everybody has some sort of evolution of that over their life. Like, you start off, like, with your world being tiny, like you're a child and yeah. infant. And then slowly, you like, you get to know your family. Then you get to know people in your city. You get to know, you know, bigger and bigger and bigger until one day you can kind of see everybody else as someone like you. Totally. And isn't it, it really is just design. Like you can kind of see the design in it all, you know, in that same formula. I have a six month old boy right now. It's our first child for my wife and I. And in the same way to see it start from ground zero and to see how a child starts to interact with their world around them and, and to to know, having experienced the amount of life that I have, know that he's going to be on that similar trajectory. That's really exciting. So as somebody who's experienced this in his own life, like what's your, how are you going to guide your son into experiencing that? Like, are you, because well, I, I, I do not plan on having children for a while. Like <laughs> I have no, like what, I don't know anything. Like break that down for me. What's like your goal? How, do, how does that work? That's an awesome question that I do not have an answer for right now. <laughs> that's okay. We're taking it a step at a time. Yeah, that's but, probably smart. Yeah, but I, th- I think it is, you know, it's it's at the stage where he's starting to understand. It's it's starting to um, 
really just bring him into into what life is and talking to him like like an adult and and helping him understand like the realities of the life that we that we live um so i think one of the beautiful things is is especially in our line of work is how you can start to introduce ideas of just the globe of different cultures at a really young age whether it's through the types of coffee that you have on your shelves or the types of products that you buy you know that's one of our big passions as a brand is is helping make that introduction at a sooner level for children to to think about whoa this product you know it's hand signed by the person who made it yeah so yeah okay and let's get let's jump back yeah, into I'm that getting so, ahead, i'm getting no ahead of myself i love it it's you know because you've done a wonderful job of with crochet kids using it to kind of open people up to the world what was how did you go from being like somebody who had just like gone to this new place had your like the way that you saw the world challenged mm-hmm. to doing something about that doing something with that yeah, that's a great question. So for us, it, it was those experiences. And it was that question that I think anyone has, which is, what can I do to help in any way? Um, those are the questions that I was asking of myself and that as a, as a friend group. What, we were were the, what were the problems that you were seeing? Poverty. And more specifically, starting to see how uh, traditional forms of international aid were keeping people in a cycle of dependency more than they were empowering or, or equipping somebody for their future, of, of setting them up for a, a self-reliant livelihood. And so those are the things that we were seeing. We were seeing um, programs and even things that we were a part of. You saw that they were relying upon you know, a volunteer to come and do that thing, or you realized that in some cases you were going to to build bunk beds or, or to dig a ditch. And, and you kind of started to do the math and realize this is taking jobs potentially away from people yeah. who could be doing this work. So, so with that, I mean, with poverty in general, uh, we were asking that question and it was in the summer of 2006, uh, one of our co-founders, Stuart was in Uganda and was wrestling with those same questions that, that we all were. And he was asking people, what could we do to help? And they said, we want to work. We want to provide mm. for ourselves. We are tired of aid organizations coming in and, and, and trying to provide our own needs. And that really, so we were halfway through college at that point. We were right in between our sophomore and junior year, but, but something about that struck us to the core. And, and it, it made us realize that we all want the same things. We all want to be able to to earn a living, provide for ourselves, to to care for our children. We didn't have them at that point, but we knew that that was a goal of ours to have. And so, uh, so we took took that in, and then said, "What can we do about it?" And uh, most simply, we knew how to crochet. We like <laughs> literally used the one thing that we that we knew how to do as a place to say, "Well, this is this is a starting point." Yeah. And, and your goal was to give everybody in these other places an opportunity to take a hot air balloon into the sky on the prom day. Is that correct? <laughs> yeah, that, that was, you know, it's, it shifted, but that was originally everything. Yeah. <laughs> the joy that we experienced in that moment really would have, yeah, yeah every Yeah, every single person needs to ride in a hot air balloon. <laughs> and I have not yet, so I'm going to take up crocheting hey, pretty soon. Hey, yeah, let's go. Yeah, you know, maybe <laughs> we'll start doing my podcast on a hot air balloon. I would, yeah, I'll be back. <laughs> this is good. Okay, so in all seriousness, yeah. so you decide to start using crocheting mm-hmm. to give people the opportunity to like do what they want to do. 
Yeah. What do you finish college? What does that look like? Yeah. So in between our, right before we started our junior year of college, my, myself, Travis and Stuart were literally sitting around a fire in my backyard in Spokane. And we were weighing these options. We, we, Stuart had just returned from his trip. I had spent the summer in the Dominican Republic. So this idea of, of helping, uh, alleviate global poverty was something really, really heavy on all of our hearts. And, and through that conversation and, and realizing that if we decided to take that step, if we were going to go back to Uganda and, and start by training a group of women how to crochet, there's so many unknowns. Um, but we, we knew that if, if we were going to do it at all, we had to commit everything we had to it. And so we started right from there. We, in my mind, Crochet Kids International was in existence at that point. And it was going to happen because we kind of laid down the commitment together to say, hey, this is this is something that we want to do. And we went back to school. We rallied up in our, kind of our individual schools. We rallied up close friends, started sharing that idea. We broke out our crochet hooks again, started making headwear, selling it, telling people the story about what we planned to do, uh, and then applied to become a nonprofit during that school year. What was fun at that point was every single thing that we did at school was for the impending organization. That's amazing. So business plans in our business classes, business plans for Crochet Kids International. Marketing plans. I would get, they were strangers or classmates, friends of mine, and the plan or the project was to create a marketing plan. And I would say, okay, guys, we could make up some fake product and we could you know, market that fake product and probably get a good grade. Or we could put energy behind this organization and this idea that we're trying to start to give women jobs and empower them. In that Uganda. is so cool. So the earliest days were, were just working it out in the classroom, turning papers into teachers and saying, hey, we're actually doing this. We want your legitimate feedback. That's amazing. So people are actually critiquing you and saying, this is how you can make it better. This is how you can improve. Making connections. And that's always my encouragement too, right? Like if there are students that listen to this podcast or anyone in, at any stage in life, but it's like take advantage of those opportunities where people are, you're in a position where people want to provide resources, want to- They're like being paid to do that. Yeah. And they want like that, they- started doing that job because they wanted to actually make an impact. Absolutely. And so we started there and then uh, we were we were talking as much as we could at that same point. This was in 2006, early 2007, um, talking with organizations and, and contacts that we had in Uganda planning for a trip that summer. And we had on this trip, we had all raised our own individual support to, to go on the trip. We literally, the criteria was uh, if you could raise the money and you'd been involved, you could go. Uh, you, you could only take a ch- uh, one bag, like a carry-on bag, and then the other two bags were massive military duffel bags that were stuffed with vacuum-packed yarn. That's incredible. So everyone had two checked bags that were just full of yarn and, and hooks. That was <laughs> People ask us how we started doing international logistics, so we just said we checked it on the plane incredible and i bet like this like i bet tsa was like what is this like what are they doing yeah when we landed in uganda there's this crew of of young american people who are just bringing in yarn and we just said it was for arts and crafts projects and just went on by brilliant yeah 
So that was in 2007, we went back and with the help of a few local organizations, identified a group of 10 women. We were really intentional about wanting to take 10 people there to train one-on-one in crocheting. Amazing. And what part of, this is in Uganda? Yeah, northern Uganda. Sweet. In a town called Gulu. Okay, yeah, I know Gulu. Yeah. So we we did that. And honestly, there was this moment where literally the night before we trained the women to crochet, we, we all kind of paused. And I know for me, this kind of internal moment of, of thinking, what if they can't crochet? <laughs> Like what we've done all this work, we but it's all been on this understanding that they're going to be amazing at crocheting. Yeah. But that wasn't the reality or not one that we knew. Um, and so there's this moment of panic. Like if they can't do this, our whole dream is out the window. And that's kind of how any opportunity, any dream goes. Like you get to be like 24 hours before, a week before, mm-hmm. and you start to freak out and you're like, is this going to work? And you start to second guess, which is healthy and normal, right? but it's freaky in the moment. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that was the very beginning. And we trained these 10 beautiful Ugandan um, women. We had the help of a few translators and we, from that point knew that, you know, this thing could happen. They did it. They were able to do it. They did amazing. That's incredible. Made almost flawless hats. Some of them on their first, on their first time. So so that was born this idea called Crochet Kids International. And from there, it was off to the races. And we knew the whole impetus for starting all of it was to do things differently. We were a nonprofit organization, but we wanted to, uh, we wanted to have a more sustainable model through, this, through the creation of really great products and the sale of those products. Yeah. And so that you wouldn't be reliant on donations. Exactly. Yeah. So that we wouldn't be fully reliant on a donor. I mean, we started the organization during the midst of a recession in 2007, <laughs> 2008. So it was like we were seeing nonprofits both abroad and domestically that were failing because they couldn't keep their doors open because of donor turnover change. Um and so, yeah, we, we started out to do something new. And to this day, we're still charging at that same idea. That's incredible. I love that. Yeah. And I'm trying to remember what point I started to find out about Crochet Kids. It could have been while I was in high school, just this idea that like people were talking about these world changers the next town over. And I think that I even like, I remember friends like at school wearing the hats. But yeah. then it was years later that I started to be like, this is like legit, like this isn't just a thing in, in my part of the country. This is something that's like, you know, it's taken over. You guys are now in like, you guys have partnered with Nordstrom, Zoomies, mm-hmm. all these places mm-hmm. and you guys are legit. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks man. I mean, like they say, fake it till you make it. And we're still, um, we've been around for now nine years going on 10 and we've learned a ton along the way. And yeah. Uh, yeah, still have, still have a lot to learn, but we've had some beautiful opportunities. People that really have been able to get behind the story and, and what we're about in awesome ways. So, What do you think it is that people connect with so much? You know, I think the big thing is that the core of what we're doing is so, and I don't want this to sound like in a boastful way at all, but it's so just genuine and authentic. Like one of the big decisions we had to make, not only in starting, but especially as we scaled was 
do we remain a nonprofit organization? Totally. And that's something there's there's very few social enterprises that that are nonprofits. Um, and for us, um, we you know we celebrate people who like use a for profit model. But for us, it's been it's just kept the clarity of purpose. And it points everything that we do back to our mission in a really beautiful way. And I think that people can resonate with that. I think that they they get that it, we're not in it for, or I'm not in it for my personal gain, but that everything that we do is structured so that women in now Uganda and Peru have opportunities that they otherwise wouldn't have and that they'd be empowered to rise above poverty. Yeah, you totally could have just been a beanie company where you and your buddies teach more people in the United States to just make hats. And you also could have just been a company that teaches other people in other countries how to make hats and then sell them and then give some of the money back. But like, yeah, but you guys decided to go full on with the nonprofit. And I love that you guys do. uh, Yeah, I love that you're basically like selling things, but you're also employing people in the process. Yeah. And that's, that's huge because it's, yeah, it it flips what you had seen Mm -hmm. uh, that like you saw was like unsustainable on Mm -hmm. its head. Totally. And the craziest part is actually not only the the job creation side, but really ultimately our goal for our work on the ground is that women would graduate out of our programs. And that's really, you know, when we said we want to help fight this model of dependency that's being created within international aid, it was first and foremost providing a job, but then it was following that job with a three-year education curriculum and a one-on-one mentorship program from local mentors incredible to help them actually take the step from working at Crochet Kids to graduating and moving on to their own businesses that they can run. And that's like the core of of how we define empowerment uh, and something that we've seen happen to to some successful ways for sure. And why did you guys choose women? Like, what's the what's the thought process on that? For us, it really it came down to uh, how could we create the most impact. So, w- as we looked at the landscape, starting in Uganda, but then even globally, when it came to international development, um, through a lot of guidance and advice from from organizations and people who had already been working on the ground as well, we we saw that the amount of income and resources that a woman poured back into her family, the number of people that she would lift out of poverty alongside of her, it was really clear that in impacting and choosing to employ women would provide a livelihood for an entire family. And so very, you know, right out of the gates, we saw that that was a place that we needed to focus to start. And it wasn't our intention and still isn't, you know, I think that there could be opportunities and we employ men in different um, roles and capacities internationally. But um, really it was from that, from that idea that if we're going to create the most impact possible, it's going to happen through women. And my other answer is women are just awesome. They really are. Yeah. They, they're, they're the, changing the face of their communities all across the globe but um in uganda and peru like we've just had a blast working with them so that's incredible yeah i uh i just got back from a trip to zimbabwe with a large nonprofit, and we were basically there specifically to learn about the value of women internationally um and just the way that they have you know they are the 
economic backbone of mm-hmm. of so many developing nations and mm-hmm. they are like that yeah they hold the most power to make an impact in a country and so investing in women um and just get giving them the opportunity to like to to grow and to yeah. become better at what they're doing is so powerful mm-hmm. i love it and just the example that that they're setting you know i think that that's going to be the true impact of our work and and other work that people are doing within women's development international development um and is the fact that like they're setting a an example that in many cases is unprecedented that a woman's leading these businesses and owning land and 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 doing things in the in her children looking up to her other community members looking up to them and seeing the health and success of of what they're creating will shift and shake the earth to its core man yeah how many women have gone through the crochet kids journey uh, we currently employ um, around 200 women, and we've had 75 graduates who have actually gone through our program, which is a three- to five-year cycle, and graduated out the other end to be running businesses or careers independently and on their Amazing. own. Amazing. Yeah. Wow. That's so cool. And I love that you guys started small. You started with mm. just 10 people. Yeah. And that's I don't know. Do you feel like that's just the way to start things to be like, cause I get so ambitious. I'm like, totally. I want to do this big thing, but uh, I love the fact that it just like, it worked for you guys to show up with 10 people and enough yarn for 10 women and just walk them through the process. Just begin. Yeah. And I think that's honestly a problem. Um, we, you know, I experienced that same thing. It's like, you want it to be as big and as crazy as, as possible, creating the most impact. But uh, we started with what we knew we could manage. And for us, it has made the most sense because we believe that healthy brands, healthy organizations grow slowly over time. And we also knew that we had a lot of learning and uptake to do. So starting at a manageable level allowed us to do that and grow into those, grow into our shoes, so to speak. So yeah, start, starting small, I would I would absolutely advocate for that. And, and I think the other important narrative there is that uh, we have this idea in our society or culture that if we're not helping a thousand, a million people, that, that our idea is not good enough or it's not big enough. And one of the things that we've really had to fight is this idea of, of creating a depth of impact over a breadth of impact. And when we started, there were a lot of people that would push back to us and say, well, it's just 10 women though. I mean, how many millions of people are in poverty or, you know, even today it's 200. But at one point where we felt bad about that, we felt bad about ourselves. Like, oh man, are we doing enough? Is this, you know, should we, should we keep at it? But we had to flip the script on that one too, to say like, no, we're doing impact in the best way possible that we can, that we can come up with. And, and we're seeing, instead of giving one resource to tens of thousands of people, we're taking individuals through a process from A to Z and seeing them fully independent and on their own out, out the other side. And that is, that's the type of impact that we want to stand for. And we've had to be really firm on that. And, you know, not everyone gets it and that's okay. We, we need to uh, understand like what we do best and continue to lean into that. And I feel like the ripple effect is so much, 
stronger when you do that. You know, mm. one person's life can have so much more impact when they've gone through five years of of yeah. r- working a job and have a mentor and are yeah. given opportunity to take next steps. Like that's so much better than somebody having like a part-time job yeah. where they go and like they've learned how to crochet. Like yeah. it's, it's so much bigger than just hats. Totally. And I think the thing that you and I, you know, I'm sure you relate with is that once you start doing any sort of work that's making an impact, um, you realize that what you do isn't enough, that you serve a role or a function, but you, but really the other half of, of it or even more is helping encourage and inspire other people to do that. Yeah. So who's listening to this podcast that's going to, you know, who's going to be encouraged or inspired that's going to start something and have a greater reach and impact than either of us could have in a completely unique setting. And that's what's really encouraging to me. It feels awesome to see people who are making a huge impact and to play mm-hmm. any sort of small role in that is right. incredible. And um, it's it's contagious, you know, yeah. seeing other people making an impact. My earliest um, influences like so like going back to the myspace days you guys had a myspace yeah yeah at one point so back in the myspace days i had a top eight on myspace and like i think that my first four on my top eight friends were like nonprofits Mm -hmm. because i had been impacted at such an early age by people who were changing the world Mm -hmm. and um yeah like what like what's our myspace right now like what's our opportunity to like impact people totally and i think that I think that there's a really there's really healthy side to that 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 you know I think you're a beautiful product of that that you you were encouraged and inspired by people who are doing good and then you made it a part of your life your vocation your everything you are to to try and do the same. I think the the danger the shadow side to that sometimes can be in in kind of a celebrity culture that we have is that people will be like, oh, well, those people are doing social good. So, you know, that's their thing and I don't have to worry about it or, or they got it covered. And I think we have to be really careful of that because, you know, I'm the first one to say whenever I get to get to share, speak anywhere that that what we do at Crochet Kids International is not enough. We do really well in certain areas of the world and are making great impacts there. But the goal and the vision of it all is this idea that we're all using our skills and talents in ways that are serving communities that we care about. And that's the only way that globally things will really, really change. Yeah. I feel like there's, uh, there's another side of this too, where like one of my friends, he's, uh, he's got this thing that he says where it's very tongue in cheek. He says, people in our generation, we don't start bands anymore. We start nonprofits. Yeah. And the truth is that there's, it also has become very cool to yeah. be uh, changing the world. And mm. the and there's nothing wrong with that. Like, I hope that that is just infused in our generation and that people look back on our generation as a generation that, uh, that set a trajectory for future generations to mm. care about the neighbors that are beyond their borders. Yeah. But at the same time, like, I think that it's because the nonprofit world has become very glamorized. Um, and like, what's, what's like the hard truth about running a nonprofit? Like, I know that there's like half of your job. I have no doubt is like going and like meeting these people all over the world and seeing the impact being made. But the other side of it is like, 
you probably have a bunch of spreadsheets on your desktop. Like you probably have like phone calls you have to make that like are mm. super annoying. Like what does that look like for you? Yeah. And I think that's such a healthy perspective um, to for people to understand too, because it, it is this idea like, oh, why, you know, how awesome would it be if my vocation was something that absolutely was was impacting other people? We do, everyone wants, has an idea to start a nonprofit for sure. The reality is this, man. So I wrote a blog post about this not long ago, but people were asking me like, oh, how long were you working until, you know, you could get paid to to work at the organization? And And for us, it was... It was almost four years where wow. we were working second jobs. I was a server at a restaurant. Um, I was a student, and then I was a server at a restaurant uh, for a number of years, working five nights a week. My wife was in nursing school so full-time, so she wasn't working. Um, yeah, five nights a week at the restaurant, five days a week at the organization, the hustle, the grinds. Like, and as even that can sometimes be glamorized like, Oh yeah, that's the, (laughs) you know, the early startup days. Um, but it's, it's a grind and you have to really, you have to really take care of yourself in the process or realize like, you know, that, that that's not a sustainable endeavor. Um, yeah. And then today, of course, I mean, there's plenty of things that, uh, that are really challenging. You're running a business and there's a lot of that that is, not glamorous and a a lot of work that gets poured into it a lot of sacrifice both for your personal relationships as well as um, finances as well as your just emotional uh, bandwidth those things get tested to the absolute max and and it's an endurance it's it's the long game right like it it's not something that you can step into for for a short period for sure yeah and like you also are in a role where you're seeing some of the darkest parts of the world you're Mm -hmm. seeing things like you're seeing brokenness and your goal is to fix that but like how do you deal with like like i know you you're super like positive upbeat guy yeah um i love like the joy that just like permeates crochet kids in general, but like, how do you keep the cynicism, the darkness, the, the heartbreak of the world from permeating who you are and what you do? Yeah. For me, it really, there was a turning point I would say where for a while I tried to bear the burden of all of that weight. Right. I tried to, I tried to take the weight of the world on my shoulders of the issues that we were trying to deal with and say, you know, it's mine to solve. Uh, the turning point was, was, was the realization that really it's like, it's not, you're not out to save the world, Cole. You're, you're not the one who's going to be responsible for helping save Uganda or, or alleviate poverty, but you have a role to play and, and the world needs you to do that really, really well. And so I think by by focusing on what you can control and what you can handle, really what you're best at and marrying that with with the impact that you want to have is a way of saying, hey, I can every day put my head on the pillow and say I gave it everything I had. And that's all any of us can do, right? Mm. Yeah, it's it's kind of this idea of life is full of opportunities, not obligations. Hmm. Like somebody's put in front of you, you know, whether they're in Peru or here in Nashville, 
and you have the opportunity to make an impact on their life. Um, or you can just like ignore them, but like it's not your job to actually change their life. Like it's your job to love them well. Mm. And if you try your hardest to like, yeah, just treat every, yeah, everything is an opportunity. Mm. I think that that, I don't know. I feel like that can kind of alleviate the pressure of being like, it, yeah. I have to, I have to have this sort of result happen. Like I have to change this. I have to change that. Mm-hmm. I think that's, yeah, I think that's a great way of putting it that you, you really, it's not your responsibility to change people. You are the, you're the catalyst. You, you can present the opportunity and, and hopefully put thought into the, the structure, whether that's a simple in, interaction or whether it's an entire system or program that you're creating. But ultimately it's going to be up to that person to see change in their life and you just get to play a role and hopefully a good one. Beautiful. Yeah. I think we're at the part of the show where I get to ask you questions that I love to ask everybody. Um, Nice. And so the first question that I have for you is, how do you describe the kind of person that you most admire in the world? That person to me is somebody who welcomes everybody as an individual, who listens more than they talk, who wants to understand who is at, you know, what's at the core of somebody and, and understand who they're working, not making assumptions, um, not, not placing their values or their understanding, but coming to, to a place where they can fully just take in and, and try and hear people. Um, and I say that on a level that like, I, I would love to be that person. I'm, I have so much to learn in that, that department, but those are the people that I really admire is that, is that they don't come into situations with this assumptions or solutions, but, um, they, they really treat people as individuals and, um, want to do the best to support and see, see others grow and flourish as a result. That's a good kind of person right there. <laughs> we need more of those people. I like that a lot. I think yeah. I think we get the opportunity to become more like that person mm. when we acknowledge what we admire about them. Like you can kind of notice yeah. them more and then notice the gap between yourself and in that. Like I'm like, "Oh my gosh, I could what if I just listened better?" Yeah. Yeah. So my next question is, what are you consuming that you love right now? So like, is there a TV show, a movie, a book, something that you're psyched about? Yeah, absolutely. So right now I am in a phase where I'm trying to, I'm the CEO of our organization and I've been in that role for nine years and kind of had a realization over the last year that I don't fully know what a CEO of an organization does, <laughs> and especially one that's that's scaling and growing. And it may sound funny, but I just have so much to learn there. So I'm consuming so many books just on, and as boring as it may sound, just on, but on management and um, and storytelling and brand. Um, we did start this organization while we were in college. We didn't have any prior experiences to draw off of. So it's very much been on the, on the job training and I'm constantly trying to feed, uh, my learning and understanding with new, new information. I really admire the discipline that you have of being like, you know, I'm working towards my goals, working towards my dreams Mm -hmm. and I have to do some boring stuff to do it. And Mm -hmm. I would imagine at some point though, you also just kind of get to a point where you enjoy it. You know, I was reading a manual the other day. I'm like, 
here's how to like podcast successful. And it's so annoying. It's like, it's the weirdest stuff, but it's, you know, you get to a point where you're like, I want to grow. And like, in order to do that, I invest and I admire the fact that you're investing. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, I, I do not so secretly love it too. Right. Like, and I don't think it has to be one or the other, but it definitely discipline is the word. And I, I, again, like I'm excited to grow and, and learn in, in disciplines around, around business and bettering myself. Um, that's all we can do is like realize that we can get better. It's, it's a value that I live my life by that we lead the organization by is that everything we're doing can be improved. So let's not think that we're perfect. Let's continue to work and, and be honest with ourselves and with those around us and keep learning. Brilliant. Yeah. So my last question is based on the ways that you've chosen to step out and live differently, whether it's in a hot air balloon or crocheting or whatever, you know, yeah. like, what's one thing you'd encourage someone else to do in their own life today? Today, I would say break your routine, learn something new uh, that, that you've wanted to, that just provides perspective to you that you wouldn't otherwise have. The thing recently for me, and I don't don't hold me to this because I don't know fully if this is going to happen. But um, an example is something I've been thinking about. It's like I've always wanted to. I've always wanted to sing. I've wanted to like learn how to sing, and it's something that it's like, oh, do you get too old, or does that come to a point where it's too late? And what's the point of it if you're not going to be in a band or whatever? But just that idea of like, how can you break your routine and think of something? new or um, explore a new subject or just test yourself in a new way. Um, those are the ways that you'll start to train your brain to like break the ruts that it gets in because we all have a tendency of doing that. That is so healthy. What a cool way to, yeah, to, to see the world differently. You know, some mm. of my favorite people are like, I mean, my favorite people in the world are people who have made a change in their life. Yeah. You know, they were a doctor and now they're a chef. Yeah. And they get to make these beautiful metaphors in their life Mm. where they get to describe things with terms that never made sense. And so you can become the best chef in the world because you can describe things in doctor terms. And what would it be like for you as somebody running a nonprofit, making an impact in the world to talk about things in terms of music and singing and just like bringing a totally different thing into things. Like for me, I freaking started a podcast all my life. I've been a photographer or a writer, like these things that are very visual, physical, like I can see them. And now like there's nothing visual about this except for like the goofy cartoon of me on like your iPhone. (laughs) And so it's, it's been so challenging and refreshing Mm. to be like, I don't know how to like, (laughs) I don't know how to like use my voice at all. Like it's, yeah. Oh man. I am so glad you brought that up. What a cool challenge. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the thing about it is like, is just taking a step. Cause I think too often as well, it's like whatever, you know, we, we have ideas, we have things that we goals or, or things that we set for ourselves, but we always set them to the farthest degree. It's like, yeah, it, you're not trying to be like a professional singer. You're just right. trying to sing. Yeah. And no matter what that is in your life is just kind of taking a step in that direction. Um, so that's what I didn't say. I, my encouragement is always just start, you know, start and, and begin the process. Uh, start and you'll with learn 10 along people. The way. Yeah. Start with 10 women, you know, and, 
And it may seem small. People may have their questions, but you build and you grow and you learn and you get sharper and you improve. And that's different. People have different perceptions of that. Even it's like, do you make the perfect thing and scale is fast or it's nothing? It's like, no, like figure out what makes sense for you and do that. Brilliant. (laughs) Cole, if people want to follow along with your life and if they want to get to know more about Crochet Kids, where can they do that? Yeah, I love social media. I always have. So definitely find me on Instagram, Snapchat, Twitter, uh, at Cole Grayson, K-O-H-L-G-R-E-Y-S-O-N, and Crochet Kids, uh, at Crochet Kids on all the, all the social medias, as I say. This is, this is an important question because <laughs> I today on my computer, I typed Crochet Kids into yeah. like Evernote, which I use for all my brain dumping. Right. And it said that it was spelled wrong. Yeah. Is Crochet spelled with a C? I'm not telling you. Because here's the thing. <laughs> I've been seeing Crochet for so long spelled with a K because of Crochet Kids. Like I don't see yeah. crochet's kit, like, Crochet spelled any other way on the internet because I don't right. Google Crochet. Right. And so I always thought it was spelled with a K. And now I'm starting to realize that you guys might be lying to me. Let's just leave it that way. (laughs) (laughs) Well, on that note, I am so glad that we got to hang out today. Thank you for the beanie. Thank you for a great time. And I'll talk to you real soon. Love it. Thank you for having me. Sounds Good with Brandon Harvey is part of the Gradient Podcast Network and is created in collaboration between me, Brandon Harvey, and Gradient. Find them on Facebook and Twitter at Gradient.is. That's Gradient, D-O-T-I-S. Follow along with my story on Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, and Facebook. My name is simply at Brandon Harvey. That's Brandon with an E-N. And if you go to my website, BrandonHarvey.com, you can sign up for my weekly good newsletter, where I highlight five of the most hopeful things happening around the world. Make sure you hit the subscribe button wherever you listen to podcasts. Which brings me to some crazy news. I just heard that we've officially reached 100 reviews on iTunes, which is absolutely nuts. The 100th review was from Michael Chapsmith, and he even used some emojis in his review. Thanks, Michael. Our next goal is a little bit more ambitious. 200 reviews. Let's make it happen. It really actually helps people find the show. So go leave a review and feel free to use some emojis like Michael did. And that's it for this week's podcast. See you next week when we get the opportunity to learn from another incredible person. Sound good?